So we're, we're in, in Luke chapter 13. <laughs> I'm really relaxed right now, so you can be relaxed too. <laughs> All right, Luke chapter 13, verse 22. And just a little bit of context around this, this uh, passage of Scripture. Jesus has been teaching. He's been in ministry for three years. This is toward the end of his ministry. And he starts to focus on going to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. It was the capital of where religion was exercised. The temple was there. Um, annually, multiple times a year, Jewish people would go to Jerusalem for the worship services, the, the um, festivals at the tabernacle or in the temple. And so Jesus had this divine appointment that he knew was coming. It was going to be the place where he was going to be crucified and sacrifice his life for all sin uh, for us so that we could have salvation. And he was, he was focused on heading that direction. It was like the, the journey to the end of his ministry. And so in this passage of scripture, it says in verse 22, he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, and he's going to tell a story of a couple of examples, but the question is, are there just a few who are going to be saved? This was a question that Jewish people had asked for centuries, how many people get saved? Um, specifically, they had kind of thought about their own cultural group, the Jewish people, you know, how many of us are going to be saved? And then they started, they didn't really even think outwardly, but to the world necessarily, but the question was, how many people are going to be saved? Because this is this seems to be a theme that Jesus talked about, salvation and, and the way to God and the way to get to God. And so he's going to give us two examples and stories. Uh, and as we read these, I want us to really think about the passage, John 3.16. It's a familiar passage of scripture. We all have probably memorized it or are going to memorize it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. His son was going to die for us. And it wasn't restricted to any one group of people or any single specific person. It was the whole world. And if you think about the whole world, there's, there's people who are really kind of good, and there are people that are really, really bad, right? But God doesn't say, I, I loved the good people in the world so much that I sent my son for them. He didn't restrict his salvation to any one person. And so verse 24 says, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Let me see if I can click this. Uh, a corresponding scripture in Matthew 7, 13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. So Jesus gives an example that the way to be saved is like a narrow gate. And he doesn't mean that it's hard to get saved, that it's hard to go through the gate, but that the gate is restricted. There's only a certain way to go through the gate. It's not just this wide open gate that however you want to go through the gate, you can go through any way you want to. It's, it's restricted. And so you, you go through this gate only one way. And the, the scripture is going to say that it's by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. So we know that, you know, the scripture is going to teach us that salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by being a good person. It's not by doing good deeds out in the community. It's not because you were related to some famous or, or spiritual person. Salvation is only open to people to come into his kingdom through faith. God gives us this amazing grace gift 
this favor towards us that he loves us so much that, that we can put our faith in him, we can trust him, we can ask him to be our Lord and Savior. And that's how all of a sudden we go through this restricted gate. All these other ways that the world talks about to get into heaven, there, there's only one way. If you don't put Jesus Christ in the middle of that way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus isn't in the equation, it's a zero. You're not going through the narrow gate. It's restricted to only people who have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as a, as a person, we're like, whoa, maybe there's some people out there that we think are kind of good. This is, this is the way God set this up. And I was, I was talking to Brad earlier. It's like each of us was born you know, in this world, broken, that we get to an age where we understand sin. You know, sin is a, is a Greek word. I'm going to kind of tell a little story about that. It, it comes from an archery term. So you have a target over there on the wall, you know, you take your bow and arrow and you, you aim at the target and you shoot. If you miss the target, that's what sin is, is to miss. And so when you consider that all of God's requirements, his holiness, his righteousness, his eminence in this world and, and his standards, none of us have ever met that standard, like the perfect holiness bullseye. Maybe you were a little bit selfish. Maybe you got angry and you yelled at your spouse or your kids or your kids yelled at you. Anyone ever done anything like that? Those are really minor things, but guess what? We missed the mark. Our arrow flew and we didn't hit the center of God's target of holiness and righteousness, and therefore all of us are sinners. And so by faith, that miss becomes a hit. God's salvation makes us righteous and holy. He puts us in the center. It's like God takes our arrow of our life shooting through space, and he says, bullseye. You're a bullseye now because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He took your sin and washed it all away. Now you're a bullseye. And isn't it cool that it wasn't us striving to hit the bullseye? We could keep shooting for a whole life and never hit the bullseye. We're not, it's not like a thing where you can learn to be good at it. You can't ever learn to be holy enough for God. And so because we couldn't do that, he gave his son to die for us so that we could have a relationship. He paid the price because he is the one that could hit the target. So it's like a narrow door to go through. He also describes it as, as, or, as, let me keep going. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you're from. Then he will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. So the second part of this picture is not only is it a narrow door, but there's a time when the door gets closed, right? The salvation isn't just open forever that you can just decide sometime in the face of eternity, oh, I think I'll go through the door now. There's a time when the door is going to close on this salvation. it's, It's at the end of our lives, just as a clue. Once you've died, there's no more deciding on that kind of thing. You've made your choice during your lifetime. And so these people, and Jesus is talking to, the, to religious people in Israel. You know, so this is another part of that context. It's not just talking randomly to, you know, uh, to the, the common people. He's talking to religious people questioning him. And they're, they're supposed to be the ones that hear from God. And they're supposed to be the ones that transfer what God is saying through his word to the people so they can live a, live a life that's in, in uh, concert with what God requires. And these people have been hearing what Jesus is saying. He's like, just because you've heard my words, just because you maybe 
congenial to me and let me sit at your table and we ate together. Just because I walked beside you and you didn't knock me down and I was here with you, just because of that, that doesn't get you through the door. There's a requirement, faith in Jesus Christ. He's going to die on the cross. And there's going to be people that watch this whole ministry from a distance and never made a commitment to him. They never gave up their life and said, I'm going to serve you. You're my savior. I want you to come into my heart. And these people, there's going to be a point when that door closes and they're going to say, but wait, we saw you, Lord. We saw saw what you were doing. It's not enough just to see. You know, there's a scripture in James that says, even the demons believe and tremble, rightly so, because... You know, they know that God is all-powerful. So knowledge about God is not enough for salvation. It goes back to the narrow door. Faith in Jesus Christ. And so here we have this picture. That he goes on and he tells them, depart from me, all you evildoers. They're, at this point, they're evildoers now. They're, they're not in his presence. They're going to be stuck outside the banquet. They don't get to come into his presence. He describes this place where they're going to be in verse 28. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. You know, this is, this, that gnashing of teeth, that weeping, it describes a place of torment, pain, suffering, isolation, aloneness. It's not a place that any one of us wants to ever be, right? You know, it, it, when I read something like this, I'm, my, my guilty conscience always is there. It's like, did I, did I live a good enough life? I've been a Christian since, you know, four or five years old when I first understood that I was a sinner. My Sunday school teacher was describing, you know, something that Jesus did, one of the parables, one of the gospels. And, and in that passage, all of a sudden, it was like, all of us have sinned. And my, in my young mind, I was like, I'm a sinner too. And she explained that, you know, if you're a sinner, you need to ask Jesus Christ in your heart because he's the only one that can save you. And I gave my heart to the Lord. But, but even so, all through your life, you read through something like this and you read, oh, wow, there's this place of weeping and gnashing of teeth outside of the presence of God. I hope I was good enough. I hope I, I, hope I did enough of the right thing during my Christian life that I'm not going to be one of those. Like, I'm afraid maybe I go, I'm going to be outside of the gate. But guess what? That's, that's kind of one of those false fears, you know? If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to be inside with the banquet. You're not going to be cast out because you lived a good enough Christian life. You know, you, you can't live a good enough Christian life to, to make it so that you get to be inside the gate. It all goes back to that initial faith in Jesus Christ. It's by faith you're saved, not by living the best Christian life. It's not about how much you come to church. It's not about how much you do good in the community. It all goes back to salvation is faith alone in Jesus Christ. There's nothing else. Now, if you're a Christian, the Bible says you're going to bear good fruit, right? So I would expect that as you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to go out into your world and you're going to love and you're going to have joy and you're going to have some peace. You're going to be kind. You're not going to be as selfish. You're going to be doing things that reflect the nature of your father. You know, that's, that's something that will be naturally growing off of your Christian tree. You know, I, I love planting fruit trees. My apple tree produces apples. I'm, I'm going to plant some grapes, and they have little nubs on them. I'm, there, I'm expecting they're going to produce grapes. If you're a Christian, and your Father is, you know, God in heaven, your Savior is Jesus Christ, you're going to bear fruit that looks like your Father. 
Um, when you're in the world, you're going to produce faith like, or not faith, you're going to produce fruit of things of this world that aren't good. So as a Christian, you're going to do it. That doesn't mean we're perfect. Don't get, you know, don't mistake what I'm talking about, that we're always going to produce perfect, beautiful fruit every single time. But the Holy Spirit is going to cause fruit to grow in us as we follow him and we, as we learn to walk his path. So, so we, the scripture talked about it being narrow, talked about a time when the door closes and the people that are outside are going to be outside forever and the people that are inside are going to be inside forever. But verse 29 is a, a verse that brings hope. It says, and they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. You know, even though it's narrow and even though the door can close, people from all over the world, and this would have been shocking to the Jewish community, especially the religious people, someone who is not a Jewish person can be in God's kingdom and recline at his table and we're excluded. This would have blown their mind. This was not something, you, I mean, it was, it was kind of a common feeling that if, if a Gentile touched you, you were unclean. You know, you, there were all these things, if you touched it or you, you came into contact with it or you experienced it, you were unclean and you couldn't go into the place of worship. The Gentiles especially, unless they did all of this stuff to get baptized and be brought into the Jewish community, they were excluded, they were outside the door. And so in this, this parable, this description of the kingdom of God, the roles are flipped. The people you would expect to be inside are the ones that Jesus says, you're going to be on the outside. The people that are on the outside, Jesus said, they're all going to be inside with me at my table. And this would have not been something the Jewish people at that time would have really understood very well. In fact, it, it, was, it was very disconcerting to them. It, they, the conflict between Jesus and the religious community was increasing and increasing like a pressure pot. It was, it was just getting hotter and hotter and boiling over. And, and it was going to get to a point where it explodes. And so, verse 30, behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. And so there's that, that flipping of roles. Isn't that great that it's not because of who you were born to and what community you live in that that's how you get into heaven? Isn't it God kind of nice that even though it's a narrow gate, anybody can believe in Jesus Christ, and you can come into relationship with him? So I'm going to read on to the next little story um, you know, this, this whole thing leads to verse 31 where it says, just at this, that time, some Pharisees approached saying to him, go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. Herod was one of the rulers in that area, you know, kind of the, kind of the big boss of, this, of the place. He could kill people if he didn't like them, if they, they were doing things that they didn't think were right for the Roman Empire. And so the Pharisees are trying to use this to kind of leverage Jesus kind of, and move on from this place. We're, we're tired of hearing this message that is so contrary to everything we've ever been raised to believe. And so Jesus in, in verse 32 says, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons that perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I reached my goal. So a fox isn't like the way our culture looks at it, this little wise and sly thing that, you know, tricks everybody and has its own way. The fox was kind of this little scavenger dog in Israel that would live in the ruins. It was very opportunistic. It would come in and kill things. You know, you, you've seen foxes where they're kind of shy and they come in and the, if the, the mom's there, they chase it away, right? So they're looking for really the, this, the innocent prey, the little chicks and things to grab them and eat them and stuff. So they're, this, this fox was description that Jesus gave to Herod was by no means a compliment. Don't think that that had any complimentary feeling in it at all. It was all negative. And he contrasts this little fox leader 
who was, who was just kind of this little scruffy little rodent dog. Uh, as, as contrasting to him, he's throwing, casting out demons and he's healing people and he's doing his thing until he gets to his destination. That Herod has no power over him. So verse 33, nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. So here's a little bit of irony. All of the people that God sent to Israel as prophets, they came to Jerusalem to say, this is what God says to you. They took those people and killed many of them. Some of them were stoned. Some of them were, they were, they were martyred uh, in Jerusalem. It's like, this is the capital of the place that God established where his temple would be, where people come to worship. And the people that come with God's message for them, they kill them. And they kill them and they kill them. And they kill them over and over and over throughout history. These prophets speaking for God the people of Jerusalem would kill them. And so he's like, and, and that's true for me. There's, there's no way I can be killed outside of Jerusalem. I have to go to the capital. I have to go to the place that's the center of worship. That's the appropriate place where as a speaker from God, they're going to kill me. And so you think about this passage where there's gnashing of teeth and, and weeping and pain. And then there's this place of banquet with God. And you have this, this message that keeps being sent to us. You know, you, you think about the world uh, and we think Hitler, oh yeah, he's on the outside. Putin, probably on the outside, we don't know. But, but what about your neighbor down the street who's nice to you or someone who stopped and helped you when your car broke down? You know, we have this amazing message that was being sent out that by faith, you can be saved. And so it doesn't matter how good or bad they were. This message keeps going out. And guess what we are? We're epistles, meaning letters, seen and read by all men. So, so God has written his message of hope and life and salvation on our lives. And we walk around our community. We're living a message that people can see. It, it can be a good message. And sometimes it can detract people if we're, if we're not careful with the way we live in the world. But we're supposed to be out there living a life that says, Jesus Christ is the way believe in him. And not everybody's going to believe. You're going to have some people out there that are, that are going to be passively aggressive towards you because of your faith. And then there's going to be others that are directly confrontational about your faith. And, and yet God has us keep going out just like the prophets over and over and over again. He didn't give up on his people. He doesn't give up on our community. There will be a day when the door closes for each person's life, but it's it's not until they've died. So we keep taking the message out there regardless of the response. And so uh, the, in conclusion, <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm looking down when I say that. In conclusion, I just want us to think about that. There are people out in our community that need to know Jesus Christ. There may be people in this room that haven't asked Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. There's a way through the door. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. We can pray after this service that you can ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to be your personal savior and he'll take all your sins away. You know, he, we have that hope. We don't have to be afraid that if we've asked Jesus to come into our heart that we're going to be on the outside of the door, that we're going to be looking in at all the people enjoying the banquet. If Jesus Christ is in our heart, he's brought us into his family. And that's a secure place to be. Just like that mother hand on Mother's Day, we're thinking about the mothers. He brings us into his, that place of comfort. Now, that doesn't mean life is going to be easy, right? We all know that just because you're Christian, it doesn't make us on this path like in the fast lane where we get to just fly along life and nothing bad happens. 
Life is difficult and hard, and we encounter lots of things that will cause grief and cause pain in our lives. But guess what? When you have Jesus Christ in your life, he gives us the stability to go through the storm. I like having Jesus in my boat, right? The disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee, and they're like, oh, we're going to die, we're going to die. Jesus is sleeping in the boat, right? Is it going to sink with Jesus in the boat? I don't know that we need to be afraid. If Jesus is in our life, we don't have to fear all the storms that hit us all the time. He's going to help us get through that. So there's a, there's a message of hope in this passage of Scripture that, you know, everyone north, south, east, and west, they can come to this banqueting table, and through faith in Jesus Christ, we get to experience life with him through eternity. And that's something to look forward to. So let's take a moment and pray, and we're, then I'm going to have the worship team come forward. We're going to have the kids come downstairs to pass out flowers um, for the mothers and the adult women in the room. Um, but if you have been to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, take this moment right now and ask him to come into your heart. I'm going to pray with you. And for others who are Christians, and maybe you don't feel like you're doing a good enough job, take comfort that God is not judging us that way. The judgment God has is, is Jesus Christ in your life. Do you meet my standard? If Jesus is in your life, you meet his standard. So we can take comfort in that. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, I thank you this day for your word. I thank you that you've explained to us the way of salvation that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. And I thank you, Lord, that even though it's restricted and it's narrow, uh, the way is clear to us. And we ask you, Lord, that if there's anyone here, this prayer, Lord, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins. I accept you as my personal Savior and live for you for the rest of my life. I pray, Lord, that as each person has asked you to be their Savior, that you would guide them, you would give them wisdom as they speak to the people in their community, their neighbors, even the people that they don't like, Lord, that they would be a light and a message of hope to them. And Lord, that you would you would bring this message out into our community that there would be salvation in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I, again, we thank you for the mothers. We thank you for our mothers that live before us and, and their lives that taught us. Um, even for the mothers that weren't good mothers, we thank you, Lord, that we have life and that we have had the opportunity to hear your word and, and then do something good with our lives and teaching this, this world about your salvation. And so this morning, I thank you and pray that you bless each person in Jesus' name. Amen.